Hello everybody and welcome back to Discerning Consciousness. I'm your host Ant and once again I'm joined by my co-host Mike. Hello Mike, good to have you on board. It's good to be here. Excellent and a big shout out, welcome to all our listeners. Um, in today's episode um, we're going to expand upon uh, our last episode which was about the uh, seven hermetic principles in that we're going to talk about another body of spiritual knowledge which is Buddhism. So we are going to talk about the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, Mike. So that's going to uh, be uh, a good a good little introduction. I yeah, think, it should be quite interesting. Yeah. I have to admit, don't know too much about Buddhism, but be look, glad to learn this episode. Sure, sure. Um, so first of all, just by way of introduction um, for you, Mike, and our listeners, um, I've, I've been in, interested in Buddhism or Buddhist teachings for quite a few years now. Um, I, I first became part of a Buddhist group back in 2005 in Southampton and that was a, a Buddhist group called Thekin, not Thekin from Father Ted, <laughs> <laughs> Thekin as in T-H-E-K-C-H-E-N and I went along to a, an introduction introductory course and yeah it was really interesting because what, what I like uh, about Buddhist teaching is the simplicity and the fact it tends to be more of a kind of elegant living philosophy rather than a religion that has uh, that has lots of horrible dogmas or rules that make you feel guilty. Oh, I wasn't brought up a Catholic, was I? Yeah, no, that'll be that. <laughs> that, that will be it. What, what do you think about that then, Mike? Yeah, I always found um, Buddhism quite interesting, especially growing up English. Um, mm. We're not really taught much about Buddhism in school, so it's just like a quick couple of weeks covering it and then off to the next religion. Yeah. Um, I always found it interesting that it was um, the so-called religion without a god. Yeah. But, you know, realising and, you know, especially doing my research into other type of spirituality type religions as we say sure. that it's the secret is that i'm guessing the god is you in it yeah sure so you're at the center yeah and again just to link um mike with the hermetic principles what i like about buddhist teachings is that essentially they're very hard to argue against because in a way they spring like the hermetic principles from real sound objective truths because if you go against the four noble truths if you go against the practices of the Eightfold Path or what you should be practicing, um, you're gonna, you know, come. Uh, you're gonna find life difficult. You're gonna, you know, certainly not gonna be help helping yourself. It's running up an escalator that's going downwards. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't put it, couldn't put it um, better myself. Um, so another thing um, about Buddhist teaching, uh, Mike, is I'm pretty sure that many of our listeners out there have probably um, gone along to Buddhist centres wherever it might, wherever they might be listening in the world, or they have at least um, purchased books with um, Buddhist uh, ideas um, contained within that book. So I thought it's it tend to be something that many people have explored and ventured into. Um, so so for the, for people who have, it's interesting. Uh, I always find to revisit them because they are so helpful. Yeah, I mean, like, the these principles, by the looks of it, do seem quite, like you said, very based in logic. Yeah, sure, yeah. And also, here at Discerning Consciousness, we're always exploring ways in which you can um, deepen your consciousness. And I feel that um, Buddhist teachings are very helpful in that regard, and certainly should lead to a more fulfilling life. 
So I think we'll crack on now, Mike. So first of all, uh, let's look at the Four Noble Truths. Um, that's because they essentially underpin the Eightfold Path. So it's, it makes sense to start there, really. Kind of an introduction. <laughs> yes, an introduction to Buddhism, if you will. So the first one um, is called um, Life is Suffering. So what that means is it doesn't mean that life is misery as such. Well, not far from. <laughs> not far from. <laughs> but what it means is that life as it is normally lived, certainly in the Western world essentially, is inevitably, um, we experience it as uh, unfulfilling and unsatisfactory because we misconceive the truth of life. In other words, we become um, detached, sorry, we become attached to things and we deny the, the simple truth that everything in our life is going to go away. Uh, yeah. it, it could go away, you know, within seconds or it might make, might take generations, but everything that we have is, is just fluid and there's no permanency. Yeah, it's one of the ideas that um, everything we own, everything, everyone we know tends to, to end up owning us in that respect yeah, sure, yeah, um, because we always want them to be around or we always want that item to be there sure. and when it's not there we suffer exactly. for it not being there yeah exactly. and at the end of the day um, that comes to the idea that we always look externally for happiness sure, and yeah. fulfillment rather than finding it from internal sure and this relates to really simple things um, in terms of how we become uh, attached to physical items Mike um, I know in the past, um, or was it last summer, I um, had a whole box of goodies, model cars mainly, and some Formula One um, bits and pieces that I managed to sell uh, on eBay. And, and I got a great sense of satisfaction from doing that and getting rid of things that I was once attached to. I actually felt lighter. They give that, there's that expression, isn't there? Oh, I, I feel lighter. So there is like an energetic attachment. Yeah, um, I think within the spiritual community, there's a whole thing of having a clear out yeah, and feeling sure. like there's less baggage being dragged around with you that yeah, way. Sure, exactly. So um, <clears throat> in order to just flesh out this idea of life is suffering a little bit more, we very commonly uh, seek happiness outside of ourselves. So we cling or we attach to people, uh, certain situations in life or um, relationships, and we constantly deny that we're trying to mitigate or um, against losing those things. So we'll come up with all these strange strategies to ensure that we can still have that very thing, but it always just stitches us up at the end of the day. And it, and it is difficult, isn't it, if you're um, you know if you're in a relationship that um, you know that maybe that you should end it. But in some way, it gives you a lot on a personal level. Some, it's understandable that we become attached to things because we don't really live in a very progressive or, I hate that word, I should say, in a very awakened or conscious type of society, do we, really? Well, what are you saying about people just, you know, staying with each other? Because it's generally easier to, to keep the status quo going than it is mm. to change the status quo. Sure. And a lot of people find it difficult to, to build up the courage to actually make that step. Yeah, sure. So um, Buddhist teaching would say the core or root of our suffering is this idea of attachment, craving and desire. And Buddhists call this uh, as a form of dis dissatisfaction. The word is called Dukkha. You've probably all heard of that word, Dukkha, which is spelled D-U-K-K-H-A, which commonly manifests uh, as a feeling, uh, like a feeling of general emptiness or 
that there there must be more to life or you know like the daily grind or the nine to five that is is this the entirety of my life now basically the cause for midlife crisis yeah yeah <laughs> oh god i'm right at that age now right moving on <laughs> swiftly <laughs> moving on swiftly to uh the second noble truth uh which is again it follows follows on these all follow on from one another so forgive us if it sounds uh, a little bit um trite or simplistic but that's the easiest way of explaining these really so the second uh, of the four noble truths is that as humans we suffer because of our constant craving um, so what is craving it's any desire for our current experience to be anything other than uh, what it actually is so that's about not being in the moment Mike essentially I would say um, it would be more powerful in the sense of it's not being happy within yourself because yeah. we only look and crave for um external experiences when we're not happy with what we have right now sure. so we're looking for more yeah and the truth is whatever situation is the reality of it is you, you can't really look to anything else because that is just the objective reality of being in that moment no matter how pleasurable or unpleasurable it is you, we can't deny that can we really yeah um i think it all comes down to the idea of um you know we are all inherently scared but we don't want to admit it no. and then we grab onto everything we can be because the more we grab onto the less fear we think we're actually going to feel yeah sure but none of that stuff we grab onto necessarily will fulfill us mm -hmm. so it's like we grab the float but it might mean we'll sink <laughs> in a simple way so um in essence then what we're talking about here is the reactive mind which means we tend to judge every situation we are in in life in terms of how it benefits us. Uh, the ego mind, yeah. The, the ego mind or ego gratification. If we, if we um, just discuss this further, the ego is always looking for status, reputation. Uh, we all have appetites and desires that can really never be fully satisfied, be they sensual, physical or um, sexual. Um, it might even be, you know, related to spiritualism, Mike, that we have this constant craving for knowledge and wisdom or to, I know the trap I've fallen into in the past is forgetting to live because I'm just so focused on seeking the deeper meaning or deeper understanding <laughs> to every situation in my life. I know that can, that stitched me up as well. Yeah, it's like a, a dog chasing a car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and so this can make us forget about how simply how important it is to just be in the moment and to um and to stop chasing things all the time but like you said mike it's only really the the ego or our personality that has a perception of ourself outside of that moment and that relates to what you were just saying a few minutes ago really yeah so moving on to the um third of the four noble truths which is actually quite heartening really because the buddhists say that there is actually a solution to our sufferings. <laughs> it's not it's not all doom and gloom. So really our dissatisfaction can be overcome by letting go of our craving and learning how to live in a more open and expansive way. So this essentially is uh, the antidote to the reactive mind. So it's not about not responding, but it's about um, being creative in the moment by generating love or being compassionate or being generous but this can only arise out of growing our awareness and this really links to the idea of 
in order to increase our awareness or awareness or our consciousness if you prefer that comes about through integrating mindfulness into our lives or at the very least beginning some form of meditation practice yeah because you've obviously got to put some work and effort into the problems that you do have yeah sure um and we all have those problems that's why we're all here no one's perfect in that sense yeah um sure. so we all need to do work on ourselves to improve those things about ourselves yeah and i guess in a very simple kind of um everyday self-development perspective what it's saying is it's not just enough to identify the problem i.e which is the state of your reactive mind or the reactive mind you actually have to work on changing that and the only way you can work on changing that is to be more mindful or and or at least have some sort of meditation pro process um i'm just making a note to myself there that's something <laughs> do you know what interesting enough you say that um i find everyone who starts getting into like you know spiritual or new age type environments or is that oh i really want to learn reiki i really want to learn crystals. crystals or i really want to learn how to be psychic or something like that and activate then activate the higher chakras you forgot that one. Oh yeah sorry my bad <laughs> oh the ascendancy movement yeah, and exactly. all that um yeah. but but actually when you really get down to the nitty-gritties of it you find that um it's all about combating your own psychology your own nature yeah. in that sense and um, this is essentially what what he's talking about when it comes to what we're moving on to in a second about the eightfold path yeah and funnily enough as uh, luck should have it the, <laughs> <laughs> the fourth of the uh, the fourth of the one of the four noble truths is the fact that in order to end suffering um uh, what is needed is to follow the buddhist eightfold path again i know this sounds it sounds a little bit simplistic in a way. You know what? From a from a you know a modern perspective, the four noble truths really just does sound like a, a sales pitch for Buddhism. <laughs> like you know, life is suffering. Are you suffering right now? Yes, then life is suffering. Do you know what? I know why you're suffering. Um, and do you know what? Even better, there's a solution to this, solution, and yeah. I've got it. Come with me. Maybe that's where the Jehovah's Witnesses go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway just to before we get fully into the eightfold path mike and for the benefit of our listeners so in just a little pricey or summary this is about transforming all aspects of our being being clearer in our understanding of the external world our emotions and our actions so it's about three important quest questions awareness of ourselves and the environment secondly effort with positive motivation and concentration which is generated in meditation to help us free us from negative emotions and false understandings about the nature of our experience. So, yeah, it sounds very grandiose. I'd like to yeah, say that. Very, yeah. very wordy, but yeah. I would almost sum that up to um, taking a time out to reflect on yourself and reevaluate the situation you're in. Sure. They're my words, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought that was actually what Buddhism no, says. I never copy verbatim, Mike. It's always my, you know, you know, I'm a frustrated writer. Anyway, we'll we'll push ahead into um, the actual, the first one of the um, Buddhist Eightfold Path, which is about cultivating right view, or to put it another way, um, right understanding, which in essence is about cultivating wisdom by understanding the source of our suffering. So by gaining true understanding and clarity through insight, 
Um, we need to have a direct experience. Gain knowledge and intelligence is not enough. So we need to fully integrate it. So how do we fully integrate it? So again, it's back to this idea of mindfulness and meditation, because by using mindfulness and following a meditation practice, um, deep insights can surface into our conscious mind. And this helps us develop to develop right view, which I think would be in an essence, Mike, right view is kind of like the opposite probably to the reactive mind because we're thinking of things objectively is that right yeah that's what i meant earlier by taking a step back and um reevaluating the situation because mm. um our reactive mind is about making instant judgments on the spot mm. they're not always right very rarely are they right to be fair yes <laughs> um and we've always got to reevaluate and rejudge but the problem is that when we come to reevaluating and rejudging we're often tarnished by the fact that we've made that initial judgment call and we hate being wrong. Mm. So we always like to reinforce points that, you know, go towards that idea to begin with. Mm. Um, and that's why when you come to, to meditating and reflecting on that, you start breaking that down and going, hang on, though, let's look at this from scratch. Um, because you are taking that little time out and you're not in the moment. Because when you're in the moment, you, you're normally... Um, blinded by certain emotions or judgment calls or things that are going on in the situation. Mm. Or you could just be simply attached to a certain outcome. Yeah, really. yeah, exactly. Um, so all these things will kind of like muddy the waters when it comes to viewing that situation. Mm. And I think that's what they mean by cultivating the right view. Mm. Because if you view the situation um, differently, you mm. can often get very different results. Mm. Very true. And just to finish on this point, Mike, the reason why this is the first of the Buddhist Eightfold Path is because it's both a cause and effect of all the seven other points on the path. So with meditation practice, or a practice of meditation if you prefer, we can gain a clearer view, insight, and thus create wisdom. Um, this in turn deepens our practice, so we can set, so in essence what happens obviously is a positive feedback loop, Mike. So the more we meditate, the more we are mindful, the more it is said that, you know, um, insights and wisdom will bubble up and become in our conscious awareness. Yeah. Um, well, I can't remember what they call it, but a certain meditation practice about clearing the mind and just emptying the mind mm. is one of the most powerful ones for that, I find, when it comes to the idea of realising that you are not normally the originator of most of your thoughts they will tend to bubble up even when you don't want to have thoughts mm. um and it's when you realize that that you can take a step back from where well, you don't have to follow every thought every thought doesn't need to be um put energy into mm. it's that's a good um thing you raised there because i remember when i was uh, on the introductory course um, in Southampton and more recently in Bristol a few years ago when I lived in Bristol for about a year a couple of years ago um, when we did a practice at the end of each session that's what we did or that was what we were being taught before we did the yeah. practice which was when these thoughts arise normally it's like oh my god my legs stiff when, when am I going to be able to have a drink you know my stomach's rumbling just don't follow those thoughts don't, yeah. and realise that you know the essence of meditation is to is kind of to disconnect from the idea that you need to do something or you need to achieve a state of mind. And that can be quite hard when you're in a Buddhist centre because you're so focused on, I must be, I must achieve this. And you're, you're around a lot of people that have pretensions to be very devout. So, 
Yeah, I can imagine it quite intimidating seeing people in all the regalia. There's only a stuff. few, but even those who, you know, like more modestly dressed like myself, they had the sort of piety and some of them the spiritual ego, shall we say, and that can be quite intimidating. But anyway, um, to cut a long story short, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. It is, in essence, about not following those thoughts that are, you know, are normally largely based on our physical experience in that moment. The fact that we might be sat or kneeling in an unpleasant position that's hurting us. We might be hungry. We might be tired. We might be cold. We might be embarrassed. Well, I always find um, it depends on how long the meditation goes for, because mm. within the first five minutes, I'll kind of like get over that. Oh, my, I've got an itchy nose. Yeah. Oh, my leg's in the wrong <laughs> position. Let's just get a bit comfier and stuff sure. like that. Yeah. Um, but then I often find because thoughts are popping in my head all the time even on a mm. most even when i'm talking to someone new thoughts are popping up and i'm having yeah. to like right let's ignore that i'm yeah. talking right now um so when i meditate i often find it very difficult not to have thoughts and um what i find is after i've got that relaxation in point and you know it's like five ten minutes in i'll get these thoughts that are popping in um about something completely random it can be um you know i've just imagined a storyline what if happens if that um you know um <laughs> Oh, that TV show that I saw two years ago. I wonder if that's still mm. going. Are there new, any new episodes? <laughs> um, all these sort of things. Or, or like, um, I wonder what if you, you kind of like did this and invented this. Would that possibly work? <laughs> and I'm constant. I always imagine it like um, flashcards being popped up yeah, in my mind. That's a good analogy. And they're constantly one after another. And I'm mm. having to slow that down and stop it. And I'll still find myself being distracted by thoughts. Mm following them for a couple of minutes and then going hang on i'm not meant to be doing this mm. and then you, you center yourself again mm. and it's normally constantly doing that for the next five minutes and then think of the energy that that involves <laughs> before you steal the mind yeah so moving on to the the um third point which links with the previous one really it's all quite common sense is about uh, the importance of um, practicing right thinking and right intention so this is refraining from unproductive wandering thoughts, as Mike was just talking about, yep. <laughs> the, mon the monkey mind, um, and this can lead to right action. So this importance of um, Buddhism also talks about the importance of uh, mindful breathing, which can help, like with your example, Mike, to bring us back to the present moment, just to focus yeah. on the breathing. So how to work on right thinking or right intention is the importance of gathering with like-minded people working towards the same goal. Now in Buddha, sorry, in, in uh, Buddhism, they talk about the Dharma. That's where you're talking about the Dharma. So you gather to talk about the Dharma, which is the practice essentially. Sorry, sorry, what Dharma, Dharma is? Dharma is where you go along and you'll talk about the practice of doing Buddhism for want of a better phrase. So, okay, yeah. yeah. And also it's about wrong perception that wrong perceptions can confuse our thinking so it's important to qu to question an experience in terms of is this really how it is or is this what is really happening because it's often our perception of an experience or an event which is causing the suffering which again relates partly to well that goes back down to number one having exactly. the right view because yeah, exactly. we often view situations from the wrong perspective and mm. um, then we misjudge situations and then we find our actions were were out of sync um with with reality and what was going on because of our 
misrepresenting of the situation to begin with. Yeah, and that largely starts because we are fallible human beings, very loving creatures. That very that often starts with we view an event or a happening how it is affecting us from the perspective of what that other person has done to us. Yeah, um, we Which often is very understandable. We often judge people on actions, but mm. judge ourselves on intentions. Mm. Yeah, um, and this generally causes most of this misjudging. Mm. And this also relates in the past and currently. I've done a lot of work with um, uh, adults with learning disabilities, and you know, one of the most important important points to remember is that they are not their behaviour. Yes. You know what I mean? It, it, that can be really difficult at times if they've been violent. Do you know violent, what? But... Um, I always heard this phrase once from um, childcare when it's always say, um, you never say a, ch- a child is naughty. No. You no. say they've done something sure, naughty. Yeah. Uh, and that way it's not referring to that, the fact that they're always naughty. It's sure. just that, that particular action. Sure, or that's... it's just their behaviour at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. So moving on to the third point, Mike on the Eightfold Path, again it relates to the previous one in terms of right thinking, right intention, and that is the importance of practicing right speech. Um, obviously in a very simple way it's important to practice right speech because you could have been understood more clearly but in, an, in an, an ethical and kind of karmic way obviously well, you don't want to give people false or faint praise you don't want to over embellish people's ego because you'll be thought of in a, in a good light and we see you know a lot of the internet is about liking people or telling you know they're amazing when you might not have even actually looked at whatever it is that they're producing online so there are lots of traps online with that one aren't there of yeah false praise so it's not just about not talking like a chav but it's really <laughs> about having um a better perspective of the impact of what you're going to say is mm. so for the benefit of our non-english listeners predominantly from the stats that's america what do you mean by chav because they might not know what that means okay probably won't over here we have a group of people that are heavily into saying things like um oi mate yeah and stuff like that mush and all those words go right so we're talking about the lower classes yeah well not necessarily just so in america they might say trailer park trash Oh, no, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Has a certain ring. So this idea, Mike, of practising right speech comes down to four main efforts. So it's about speaking truthfully, not speaking cruelly, and not to exaggerate or embellish. And again, that's the one that I just said about how we often, well, I'm not sure that I do, but lots of people do on Facebook and on Instagram. They're actually looking to be embellished, though, aren't they? (laughs) Well, today's environment is so, especially on the internet, is so full of bakery that that, that's what it's become. Yeah, sure. It's all built around that principle, isn't it? So just to finish on this point, which kind of is a nice little summary up until the third, um, third one of the eightfold path is right speech is based on right thinking and speech obviously originates in our thinking so speech should come from a higher state of being so that's essentially how all those three points well link together and i did write that again (laughs) so be careful what you say no i was just going to say that um 
I finally get why it's called the eightfold path because at the end of the day, all of these they're all enfolded upon one another. Exactly, um, and it's the idea about unpacking it in those eight um, directions. I would say, sure. um, but all inherently come from the fact that as long as we view the situation right and we have a perspective of what our sure. our actions and stuff are gonna have on people, then we start automatically um making leaps and bounds in all of those directions mm. i think because uh, we, we've spoken um at these points about mindfulness let's remember a lot of this is about acting behaving mindfully so it's not just about you know mindful practice of having a current or a seed on your lips and being in the moment and feeling and sensing it is actually about being mindful of your behavior your actions so it's wider than that as well. yeah i mean I often find the mindfulness retreats and stuff kind of like a bit of a BS situation yeah. because they they go on this absurd journey. At the end of the day, they just, you know, like you said, have that practice of being mindful of yourself. But at the end of the day, I don't think they, well, I've never been on one, but I don't think they push that idea of you've got to be mindful of your actions mm. rather than just feel that current <laughs> sure. and of course there are many uh, mindfulness practitioners around i hope I haven't um offended any of our listeners well we just bashed the entire industry so. <laughs> <laughs> but no it's not to it's not to be too cynical about it as we've said many times before because it it really is important especially for a gemini person like myself with a classic you know two two brain monkey mind uh, it really is it's quite helpful um something just popped into my mind mike that might be helpful our listeners is this idea of being enfolded uh, to then unfold is do you remember the children's game with the four quadrants of paper and you you, you manipulate it inwards and outwards do you know what that's I... what it reminds me of buddhism the, the i'm not sure part. if it's true but I'm i not heard sure what it's called i heard once that game has like an esoteric esoteric meaning yeah. behind it but right, i'm not okay. sure if that's right or not right okay yeah so hopefully our listeners might understand what that means in terms of a visual form. So moving on, uh, Mike, we are halfway through the Eightfold Path now, which is number four, which is about practicing right action. Um, this one, again, is pretty much self-evident, but we all flash it out for the benefit of our listeners and yourself, because you said you, you're not particularly familiar with Buddhist ideas. At the no, start, no, but you? I have to admit, a lot of them probably do come into seem now. kind of like embedded within the idea of other things that I've researched yeah. along the way. Yeah. And it's almost like taking a personal perspective of universal rules compared to a universal perspective, which um, we covered last time on, on the... Hermetic principle. Exactly. Yeah, so on the fourth one about practising right action, this means non-violence towards ourselves and others, behaving responsibly, cultivating compassion for ourselves and, and others, and it's about being mindful of one's actions, as I just said. It can also be something as simple as being mindful of not consuming too much media or consuming maybe you know good kind of stuff online not too dark stuff which i'm sometimes i fall foul of and also uh, very simply not stealing or exploiting others being mindful in our consumptions of food drink films uh, and and things like that and not to to fall into um addictive behaviors so you know as i said at the start of this one it's quite simple really isn't it yeah uh, it's all about trying to be a good person at the end of the day not try 
trying to be nice to people. Sure. Don't don't mess them around. And um, but what I think is most powerful in that sentence you just said is um, about don't cause harm to yourself and other people. Mm, I think we lose sight of that quite often. Yeah. Uh, um, <coughs> we all have those like little self-destructive tendencies, and yeah, they're not good for us. And yet we still find ourselves doing them over and over and over mm -hmm. again. You know, oh, I'll just have that extra glass of wine or, you know, that one more chocolate bar won't hurt. All these sort of things do tend to build up on us. And at the end of the day, they could end up killing us. Yeah. And also, yeah, good point. Thank you. And I call them like, they're not fully blown addictions, but they're like mini addictions. So I started this year with the intention of cutting back on sugar. So less That's chocolate. That's a hard one to do, isn't less it? Less chocolate and less cookies or biscuits and and you know the justifications they came up with were ludicrous like well i'm having a cup of tea of course i'm gonna have a biscuit uh <laughs> how is that justified just because you're in england doesn't mean you have to have a biscuit <laughs> but you know those are the habits you've always done it and you're like <laughs> yeah it is just that habitual thing habitual patterns of behavior yeah, and, um, you know, those are the sort of things that we, we've got to come aware of when we are meditating and observing mm. ourselves in the, in the here and now. And this might be an interesting point to raise since we had the revamp, um, Mike, a little while ago and we've been more productive. We're getting episodes out every two weeks and we're obviously encouraging more input from our listeners, good, bad or indifferent, yeah. let's be honest. Uh, we'd love to hear from you about your meditation practices because both Mike and I... Um, we struggle, don't we, sometimes to, to meditate consistently, oh, fall yeah, away definitely. from it sometimes, need encouragement. So, so tell us if you've got any tips or your experiences or, or challenges or difficulties you might have, because we're all about uh, promoting an inclusive uh, community here to help one, to help one another out, because we talk about these things on discerning consciousness, and sometimes I'm aware of you can sort of fall into the trap of thinking... Um, it can sound a bit simplistic. It can sound these things are all challenging, aren't they, Mike? None of them, none of these teachings are easy to understand. They're not, and they're even harder to implement in a lot of ways. Yeah, because I have to admit, um, me and Anthony both uh, approach this sort of stuff very intellectually, normally. Yeah. Um, even though we've both done the practices in the past and we've been there, it's just that we find them hard to keep up in our day-to-day -day yeah. lives normally. And I know that's not great of us, but then again, we never tout ourselves as being like spiritual masters or and spiritual experts. Teachers, no. Yeah, yeah. We just like talking about this sure. sort of stuff. We, we, we love talking about um, interesting things. And that actually related to Buddhism, that's an important part of like having a, a community or even one person or a few people you can talk to about deep and interesting, meaningful things. Because in our day to day lives, I know. For a lot of people, if you want to have those discussions, it can be difficult, can't it, Mike? Because often it's at work, it's what happened in the soap opera or the latest uh, internet phenomena or Facebook fashion. And, and you're just sat there itching. Well, I want to talk about this, you know, this new human skeleton that's six times the size of a normal human that I want to talk about. Why can't we talk about that? So it is important to try and find other people that you can talk about all these interesting things. yeah i think that actually comes in what you're about to talk about on yeah. the next one isn't it yeah sure so going on to the fifth one that's about um practicing right effort or or, or diligence so that's working towards targets or goals in life um in a more conscious way so buddhism refers to it as a store consciousness so this is the idea of human potentiality 
So within all of us, there's always the potential for anger, fear, hatred, joy, excitement, peace, the whole gamut of human emotions. But again, common sense sounds common sense. It all depends on which one we water or which seeds yeah, we water in our everyday contact, conduct. Those are the ones that are going to grow, Mike. Though, in other words, or we could put it, those that we focus our, our attention on. So this is very similar to the analogy which you've spoken about in a previous episode. Can't remember which one, but a very good um, analogy is about feeding the wall. Yeah, um, brilliant quote. I have no idea who said it first, but right. um, it's been used in different contexts. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I first heard it from um, Tomorrowland, where she's like, the film, um, yeah. You know, there are two walls. One represents yeah, yeah, one yeah. represents fear. One pre- pre- represents love, or something like that. Yeah. Um. You know, and they're both fighting. Um. Which is which? Which wolf is gonna win? And it comes to whichever wolf you're going to feed. Sure. And it essentially comes down to um, your effort and your energy, um, all go where your attention is focused on. Mm. Um. So you know, if you've got your attention misaligned, then all your energy no matter how much you put into it, is never going to um, effectively get where you want to go because mm. your attention is in the wrong place. Mm. So um, in terms of a tagline or a catchy phrase that our listeners have probably heard of, in Buddhism, this process is referred to as the middle way, which again uh, re- makes perfect sense. And uh, it's helped um, or is cultivated once again by the practice of mindfulness or meditation. But again, this relates to our conversation about meditation before, about why we might struggle. It shouldn't be too strenuous. So you shouldn't think, I've got to do my meditation, because actually it's going to have the negative, a negative effect. And as we just previously said, we want to water, we want to um, harvest and encourage those positive emotions to grow. Yes. So in our mindfulness practice and meditation, we want to make sure that that's what we focus on. I was going to say, if you're ever building up any habit, um, if you ever find yourself coming up with that, um, you know, that, oh, my God, I must do this and having anxiety about doing that task, then that habit's never going to be good for you because you're already building up barriers in, oh, I'm going to get an anxiety attack every time I'm going to do that task now because, yeah. you know, I- I've got to do it like this and like this and like this. It's all about just have a go, learn, experience, um, you know, let it be organic rather than, you know, focused and structured. I mean, especially for people getting into it, you know, if you're, you know, you know, Buddha's masters and going up, is there degrees in it? I'm not even sure. I'm not sure how they grade it, but they must be. Yeah. yeah. You know, as you go higher up within it, then, then you want to put more conditions on it because you are trying to, um, you know, as it were, sharpen your blade more and more in it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, sorry, carry on. Um, yeah. So, you know, you don't want to get, um, you know, caught up in that. Oh, it must be like this. And it must be like this. Mm. And something that sprung to my mind a way in which I've been feeling in recent months that might help explain this idea of the middle way so bear with me is I've I've realized more and more that although life is made of separate moments or separate instances or events that happen to us in essence it really is just one continuance of one single moment so the fact that I'm sat here now doing this recording with you Mike for the benefit of our listeners it's no different from the moment of my death in the future. It will be no different from the moment of my birth. So in that way, it kind of relates to this idea of, of 
sitting in the moment and trying not to label our experience of what's happening when you realize it's just a continuance it's just like a one line one frequency that's just running all the way through so it's no better or different than any other moment from my birth or from my death or from when i'm sat at work and i'm getting a bit disgruntled with my manager <laughs> do you know what that that reminds me actually of something i heard from um a great teacher called bashar yeah. And he said that um, inherently everything is meaningless. Yeah. It has to be that way to allow you to apply to... the meaning. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's why you mean that no moment is no. different in that sense. It's just the perspective you put on it the at mind, the time. Again, the reactive mind. I know, again, it, it sounds quite grandiose, but objectively it's true, really. I mean, weirdest thing is, when it came to the middle path, my first thought was actually going back to um, the Hermetic Principles when it comes to the polarities and centering yourself in the middle of those polarities. Yeah, again, and that's how, that's why we we decided to do the Buddhist uh, Eightfold Path um, after the Hermetic Principles, because they link in nicely, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they, they, over, they overlap. And in the coming weeks and months and years, we will touch upon many other teachings because there's so many out there and oh yeah definitely <laughs> seem to be growing exponentially year upon year anyway moving on to the sips um on the eightfold path and this is the idea of practicing right livelihood so again sounds quite straightforward but let's flesh it out a bit so it's about supporting yourself in a way that does no harm to your to you or others and when i mean what, what i mean by supporting yourself obviously in the modern western world it's about providing an income or your job so it's to make sure or ensure that it does not contribute to the or make sure that it does, I should say, contribute to the expansion and development of human consciousness. That it does not add to the toxicity and polarity in the world. So maybe a question to consider with this regard or in this regard is, are you creating an income based only on selfish interest or desire? So it's about choosing a career or profession, profession that does no harm to the environment or or others uh, and as I was saying to Mike earlier whilst we were preparing for this recording again this sounds easy but it isn't because in reality in, a, in a, an ever tightening economic situation in the West um, the system almost forces us to compromise our morals and values because ultimately we have to pay the mortgage or the rent well it comes down to the fact that no matter how good intention you're going to be there's always going to be a carbon footprint to you no matter how much oh, no, you not that one. <laughs> No matter how, well, you know, in this livelihood, it's not just saying, um, you know, it's all about how we earn money, but it's also how we spend money. Yes. Um, and yeah, yeah. that spending money, no matter how you spend it, is going to go to people that generally will be causing bigger carbon footprints and all that from the money that you've given them. Mm. It be it um, a supermarket we're spending money, um, be it banks that are earning money off us. Sure, yeah. You know? It's just all around. We can't escape it anymore. Yeah. Um, but I think it's all about being um, waking up to this and trying to be more. What's the word? Not the D word, is it? <laughs> no, just more respective to everything out there. More aware. Respectful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. um, you know, a lot of people at the moment are virtue signaling with the whole. I'm going vegan to save the world. What are you doing sort of thing? Sure. I don't think you have to go to extremes like that. But yeah, something along those lines is definitely helpful. Or as the lead singer of Coldplay recently announced, um, 
where, where they're cancelling their latest tour because they, they want to reduce their carbon footprint. I mean, it's just, it's just yeah, this virtual signalling, anyway. Is that because they didn't sell enough tickets? Yeah, <laughs> maybe they wanted to hide behind that. Um, just to bring us back to the idea of, I call it like a conscious career choice. It sounds good, doesn't it? Conscious... <laughs> Well, well, well. Hang on. Wasn't that um, the one that was going out with Gwyneth Paltrow? The <laughs> conscious decoupling. Yeah, conscious decoupling. <laughs> so, it, just to give a uh, an example, <laughs> it might be that you know, on one level, you might decide, yeah, I'm going to join the military. It's a good career choice. Well, maybe think about that. You know, in terms of the eightfold path, is that a very, you know. Is that a very wise decision? Is that going to add to humanity? Or maybe even subtly, even more subtly, you might be going to work for an electronics company and you're going to work, you know, on a defence, on on some satellite system or on some military drone. Again, just because you're not firing the gun, you're still contributing to, you know, uh, more evil in the world. There was me actually thinking of um, kind of like dodgy car salesman. <laughs> You know, screwing everyone over for as much money as they can. <laughs> hey, I've known some that would sell their, for their own mum for some money. <laughs> so moving on to the seventh uh, one of, on the Eightfold Path. And this is about uh, practicing right mindfulness. So this is about how to make sure your practice of mindfulness is done in the correct way. So what does this mean? So again, this relates to partly what we said earlier, but it goes into a bit more detail. So this is about doing a practice with a focused intention, uh, discovering insight and transcending suffering in order to discover peace and happiness. To live mindfully is to express our Buddha nature, our higher state of being. So there's a Vietnamese monk and a peace activist who's now in his 90s, a very well-known chap who's called Fitch Nat Han hope I pronounced that correctly and he talks about the seven miracles of mindfulness and he calls the first four samatha which is calmness of mind and the final three vipassana which is clarity of mind and I know Mike you're probably thinking why are we defining these things like this? Isn't there an easier way? Do you know what? I often find it quite interesting whenever it's um, learning a practice of another culture or another language, how um, they they always want to shoehorn those awkward names in that you can't pronounce properly or don't know how to spell, where they don't just like, hey, who cares about, you know, what, what it's defined as in that language? Let's put it in a perspective that you can understand easily. They always... Mm, that, I that, don't know why, but they always do it. Yeah, that that is it, that is that is the problem, really. It's um, how do you the, the the essence is how do you explain it in the in a way that doesn't destroy the meaning? And I think there is a tendency to over um kind of label things and over complicate the yeah, situation. Yeah, complicate, and then you're then you're kind of kind of spinning in your wheels in a way, but um. To some degree, I do understand what he's saying here in, in the distinction between calmness of mind and clarity of mind. In that it's partly what we've spoken, you know, about before and the importance of uh, a good a good meditation practice or, um, you know, following mindfulness um, to, you know, its proper end kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think that this one is actually um, what we were saying earlier about um, applying the mindfulness techniques mm. to everyday life. Yeah. I mean, when you are like, um, you achieve those situations, I guess, by, by um, 
by practicing this sort of thing daily to allow you to more easily apply those practices. Because what I find, especially when you're learning a new te technique or anything skill, you'll always find that, yeah, I know that I know the I know the steps, I know what to do, but actually when you find yourself in the moment, there might be a bit of panic, um, yeah. emotions might not be calm, and then suddenly you're like, oh, it's all gone to mess, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the more you practice them day in, day out, the easier it is to follow. Yeah, that's a lovely, I love that summation, thank you, <laughs> that helps a lot. So lastly, uh, in terms of the Eightfold Path, <clears throat> it's about practicing right concentration. And this, funnily enough, Mike, is about applying yourself to the Buddhist Eightfold Path. But there are different types of concentration, uh, according to the Buddhist uh, teaching. And the first one is active concentration, which is about focusing on things as they come, as they bubble up, I suppose, like you were talking about yeah. before. Not forcing, um, which is also known as, as expanded awareness, which makes sense. And then you've also got selective concentration, which is about choosing one object and focusing upon it. And it's a good way to develop this is to follow the breath whilst in meditation. So again, it relates to what you were talking about in terms of as the thoughts come up. Do you give them attention or do you not in that yeah, sense? Exactly. And also, um, right mindfulness brings about right concentration, concentration, which leads to right action. So again, we can see how that's how they all interlink the, essentially. All interlink. So we've come to the end of the explanation of the, uh, Buddhist Eightfold Path, and we started by looking at the Four Noble Truths, our show motive, and remember, if you're not in control of your consciousness, uh, then someone else is. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.